So we are continuing in our our uh, verse by verse going through the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter nine. We have been for uh, a few weeks now. Let's let's go to God and just ask for His His help right now. So Lord, we are coming to you right now as a church body, and we're just saying uh, we we need you. We need you. Uh, um, as the means of our salvation, as Charlie has just explained to us, what Jesus came to do, what He's accomplished for us. We need You as believers to walk in Your ways, God. We need Your power. We need Your grace. We need Your mercy every day. Lord, help us to not lean on our own strength. God, help us to lean into You, to, to rely on You. And help us, God, to understand what it means as you call us to deny ourselves and to follow Jesus. Lord, we're asking you this morning to help us enter into this text, this scripture, this word of God as it speaks to us. Lord, help us to, uh, Lord, we're asking you that your spirit would quicken our hearts to obey, that your spirit would... um, Show us where our lives are meeting this passage, Lord. And Lord, we just want to lay at your feet anything that we might be coming into this time that is distracting us, Lord. We just pray that we would cast all of our cares upon you, all of our anxieties upon you, because you care for us. You want us to be anxious for nothing but to pray about everything. So Lord, we we want to be able to hear from you this morning, and so Lord, we don't want to be distracted by things that we might be worried about, Lord. So we want to just trust you now with those things. We pray for your healing, Lord, for those who are sick right now. We pray that your spirit would just fall on them and and your kingdom that's to come would break in in the here and now that they might experience a healing from you. Oh, we just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 27. Uh, if you're able to, would you stand with me as I read the passage for you? That's Luke 9, starting in verse 18. If you're able to stand, go ahead. It says here, it says, Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. By the way, um, just so you know, we always have printed notes for anybody. They're on back there underneath the bulletin board. They're also available using the YouVersion app. If you click on events and look for our church, you'll see uh, the outline there as well. So this is a, kind of a turning point in the, the book of Luke here where we have... Um, Things have been leading up to this point. Jesus has been healing people. He's raised people from the dead. Uh, done all kinds of incredible ministry. Remember, he he was with the disciples on the boat in the storm, and he spoke a word, and the, the winds and the waves obeyed him. Right? So all of these things. Uh, and all along the way, you hear these words. Who is this man? Who is this man? Right, so uh, it was asked there uh, in Luke 8.25, who is this man who commands the winds and the waves and they obey him? And then Herod, here in chapter 9, King Herod was asking a question because he was hearing about Jesus. And he asks, who is this person who I hear about? And so many people were asking this question and so Jesus asks uh, his disciples, and then he asks, you know, who do these, who do the crowds say that I am? What's everybody saying? Of course, you heard in the passage there that uh, what is spoken is they say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist returned, right? And some say that you're Elijah who's come, or some other Old Testament prophet who's risen from the dead. And so that's what some of the people were saying. And we've even heard um, uh, some people say in Luke here, you know, he's, he's, you know, they use the word prophet. He's quite the prophet, right? And so then, uh, then Jesus asks this question to his disciples. Okay, you've told me what the people are saying about me, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, uh, being the first and always usually the rambunctious one to speak up, and he says, the Christ of God. You are the Christ of God. And really what he means is he is the Messiah sent by God. He is the one sent by God to save us. He is the Messiah. He's the one sent by God that's been prophesied to come. So he's basically he's just saying, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ of God. And, you know, it begs the question today is, who do you say that Jesus is? That's the important thing. It's like, in other words, do you believe he is the Christ of God? Do you believe that he's more than a prophet? Right? Many people, when you ask them today, you know, who do you say Jesus is? Some people might say a prophet. 
um, an interesting guy. They may say he's an interesting guy, um, a nice person, a good example. These are just different things that people might say. And uh, when you read these biographies of Jesus' life, known as the Gospels, you can't come away with those conclusions. Well, certainly he was a nice guy. Certainly he was a great example. But it's, it's so much more than that. You recognize that Peter's confession uh, and his profession, if you will, is professing Jesus is the Christ. He is the one come from God. And so I hope today that you believe that if you've not believed that, that as you look for yourself in the Scriptures, in God's Word, what it says about Jesus, and you can't just say he was a nice guy. In fact, in the book of Acts, um, chapter 2, verse 36, it says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, meaning Jesus, God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so we're told there this very plainly, Jesus is the Lord and Christ. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, I mentioned this last week, there is salvation in no one else. Speaking of Jesus, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And linking back to that Messiah, he is the Christ of God. He is the the means of our salvation. He is the means of forgiveness, the only means, the only one whom we can go to uh, to have uh, a right relationship with God, to have a relationship with God. He is the messenger, and he is the message. And we have to have our hearts awakened to the truth that Jesus is Lord and Christ. And so the question for you is, do you believe that? Do you believe the truth of that? Is he the king of your heart? Think about that. Is he the king of your heart? Is he reigning there? Is he ruling there? Now, isn't it interesting as we um, take a look at the next couple of verses, starting in verse 21, that it says that, okay, after this incredible confession that Peter makes, you know, that he is the Messiah, that he says, Jesus says, now don't tell anyone. I'm, he's saying, I'm, I strictly command you not to tell anyone. That just seems so odd. And you would think, I mean, from our human perspective, that with such good news that the Messiah is now on the face of the earth, you would want to broadcast it on all social media, everywhere, just blast it. The Messiah is here. His name is Jesus. 
But Jesus uh, says he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Well, I I think the text, uh, the verse right after that might give us a clue. It doesn't explicitly tell us, but I think it does give us a clue. The next verse says, um, say, so it says, verse 21, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. Verse 22, saying, so like as he's saying this, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This is a lot of news getting dumped in here right now. This is the first time he has said something about this death and resurrection. And so the the thing that comes to my mind as we read this is why would he say don't tell anyone? Is this like it's not the time to tell anyone? There's a timing issue. And we see this in other places, right? Um, right? You know, even when you when you see um, uh, Jesus uh, perform that miracle there at the wedding and turn the water into wine, and his mom's asking him, you know, okay, you know, there's a problem at the wedding. Could you handle that? And, she, you know, basically she knows he can do something about that. And he's like, well, it's not my time. In other words, it's not the time to kind of like, you know, go full on, go in public. I think there's a timing issue as the reason why. As we know later in the Gospels, he definitely, you know, is having them proclaim this truth and wanting us to do the same by implication. So, but also, there, it's interesting there that I think he's, he's getting the disciples to understand what kind of a Messiah he is like the nature of his messianic mission. And I think this is important, you know, because when they're thinking Messiah, you know, they've been taught the Messiah is going to come and he's going to reign and he's going to rule and he's going to free us and he's going to deliver us from Roman oppression, from all of our enemies. So when you say Messiah, the Christ of God, they're thinking, yeah, he's coming and this God's kingdom is coming and it is here and he's taken over. And so, but Jesus in this one verse says, the Son of Man must suffer many things. The Son of Man must suffer many things. And this is just a total... Flip on its head. And you be, you know, if you were then we'd be saying, no, no, Jesus, no, that's that's not how it works. Messiah, you're the big guns. You know, we're supposed you're supposed to like just set everything straight here. The Son of Man must suffer many things. He must be rejected by the religious leaders. He must be killed, and then he must be raised on the third day. He's saying, these things must happen. This is my Messiah mission. Now, um, we do see this. We do see this uh, as we read, you know, when you read in, when you read in the book of Isaiah, 
Isaiah the prophet does tell us, and he does give, and, he, and, and we see pictures of the Messiah painted, and some, sometimes he's like this coming to save God's people. And then, and then in another place, and particularly as it comes to my mind, is Isaiah 52 and 53, where we see God's servant, as the Messiah is referenced in Isaiah, God's servant is the suffering servant, right? The suffering servant. And when you look in Isaiah 53, just to remind us of some of these um, explanations of the Messiah. And again, Isaiah uses the word... Um, God's servant. He says in verse 3 of Isaiah 53, he, meaning God's servant, the Messiah, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. You know, you need to fast forward here um, in the Gospels and think about what's going to be happening in Jesus. He's going to be beaten, right? Arrested and beaten, flogged, and then hung on a cross with a crown of thorns on his head. And so it says in verse 4 Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God. Right? God's own people. The Jews, they rejected him. Many of, many of the Jews rejected Jesus. Even though he was, it says, it says he was pierced, verse 5, Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. So we have this picture of the suffering servant the suffering Messiah. And so Jesus is like, you know, if you, and this is my opinion, I think Jesus, aside from the timing issue, he's like, if you say the Messiah has come, everybody's going to have pre-programmed in their mind that uh, I'm going to come and uh, just settle the score right now. And also, I'm thinking too, that everyone who considers Jesus as a threat is going to get ramped up. He says, it's not the time. It's not the time. First suffering and then glory. First suffering, then glory. This is what's going to happen. Jesus will come back. Uh, he is coming back, and he will reign as the king in the way that they were thinking then. But what they didn't understand was he must suffer. He must accomplish uh, the mission to save people. Right? This is it. Jesus came to save us from our sins. That's the reason. You know, and it's so easy that we're looking at it on this side of the resurrection as we look back on, this, on what happened. But these guys didn't have any idea. You know, we, you know, we, you got to give them some credit that they're just, they didn't have, we're not sitting on um, that, our side of history. But Jesus is telling them, no, the, this is what's going to happen. Now, so this is news. Of course, 
you know, the encouraging thing is that, and of course, you know, they don't fully understand all this. I mean, they, they, they have put together he is the Messiah. Okay, but I don't think they fully understand everything about Jesus yet and all of this going to entail. But the encouraging news is in that verse, on the third day, he will be raised. Right? On the third day, he will be raised. The resurrection, right? the vindication of Jesus. Now, the rest of the passage is really Jesus then explaining uh, and, and preparing, this is what, and this is what I kind of think is this going on so much here in in the previous chapters leading up to this. Jesus is um, he's so I mean it's no surprise he's so wise he's preparing them for his departure he's preparing them for what so it's what you would want to do right if you're I mean this is a kind of a lame example but if you're a coach and you know what your team's up against you're going to want to prepare them. Right? And certainly on a much grander scale, and what's at stake here is he's trying to tell his disciples this is what is to come, and you have to be ready. You're going to have to know what it means to follow me. You're going to have to know what it means to follow me. And that's what he is getting at here. And I'll just remind you of these verses in um, Luke chapter 9, starting with verse 23. It says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so it's easy to break that one down, right? (laughs) Think about this, right? What is it? What is the nature of discipleship in following Jesus? Well, the first thing is he says, you have to deny yourself. You have to deny yourself. A disciple's life is. is a life of self-denial. It's where we're no longer the primary, uh, we, we see ourselves as no longer the primary concern, but we want Jesus Christ to be at the center of our lives. He is now the central force in our lives as Christians. And that's as part of following Jesus. We have to deny ourselves. Now, the Dictionary of Bible Themes defines self-denial as the willingness to deny oneself possessions or status in order to grow in holiness and commitment to God. You've got to realize this self-denial is not a means of getting into God's good graces. Um, it's sort of what Charlie was mentioning earlier. It's it's our response, right? And so this, in response to the call to follow Jesus, what it's going to mean is to um, the things of this world will not be primary. They will not be the things that are define our lives. But we'll deny ourselves of certain things and worldly things so that we might grow in holiness and grow in our commitment to God. Think about what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Paul understood this call to self-denial. He says, but whatever gain I had, and by the way, he had a, 
He had, a, he had status and everything uh, as a religious leader before putting his faith in Jesus, before having that personal encounter with the risen Christ. He had it all as a Jew. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. You hear that self-denial there? I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. The purpose of self-denial, counting as loss all earthly gains, is to become more like Jesus in holiness and obedience to God. That's what he's calling us to. Follower of Jesus. Follower of Jesus, as it says there, as Jesus himself says, let him deny himself. When a person puts their faith in Jesus and we're we're given the Holy Spirit, the helper, and as the word would imply, to help us live out our Christian lives according to the will of God. And you realize also pretty quickly once you become a Christian that uh, I still have these fleshly desires even though I have the Holy Spirit. I still battle sin. There's a war going on. There's a war going on. The flesh, between the flesh and the spirit, if you will. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 13, 11 to 13, it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Listen to what it says about the gospel of salvation. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Believers, we have the Spirit of God. And yes, there is a war going on internally. We still have... um, these temptations that we battle, and sometimes we win and sometimes we lose, and that's our own choice when we lose. But the thing is, is that we are able to say no to ungodliness because of the grace of God. We can say no. We're not a slave to sin anymore, it tells us in Romans. And so there is a battle It's going on. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself. Dietrich Bonhoeffer helps us understand the meaning of self-denial when he says this, and this is a pretty famous quote of his. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And that's, you know, you get the idea that Jesus is like, well, of course, what was he doing right before this? He was praying, right? The opening verses in the passage we read in Luke 9 today, he's praying. 
This is a serious moment with his disciples. And he's telling them that this will not be an easy road to follow me. This will not be sign up on the line with Jesus and everything's going to be great for your life. Everything's just going to go smooth. No bumps in the road. Everything's coming up roses. No, that's not it. That's not it at all. But we do have the Holy Spirit. Now, as we look down that list, and the first one was deny, you must deny yourself. Then he says, he says uh, something rather shocking. He says, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. And take up his cross daily. Now, you got to know what the cross symbolizes. The cross, you know, when they're thinking cross and taking up your cross, they're thinking that a person that was crucified, they were, they were sentenced to crucifixion if they committed some kind of heinous crime. And whereas maybe that crime would be seen as rebellion to the state, they would have to carry their cross to the place where they would be crucified. And that carrying of the cross would symbolize you rebelled against the state, but now you are submitting. You are submissive now. It's a picture. Carrying your cross is a picture of submission and humility. That's exactly what it is. It's, it's you've, you've been conquered by Christ. He conquers your heart. He's the king of your heart. That's what it means. We have submitted to Christ. I love the song that we were singing. I have set my heart. Set my heart on you. There's, it's like he's in the song there, it mentions that there's nothing I'm holding back. Did you get that? Nothing I'm holding back. There's no room in my spiritual house in which Jesus is not welcome. That he can't look in and that he can't clean up. This is, uh, you know, these are challenging, hard words, but we need to ask ourselves, is, is, am I, do I see my relationship to Christ as he's not only my friend, but he's the king of my heart? I submit to him. And isn't it interesting that it says, take up his cross every once in a while? When I'm feeling like it. When I'm on the top of the mountain, spiritually. No, it says, take up his cross daily. Every day, it's a decision, right? Submit my life to Christ. 
Lord, you're king of my heart. You have that rightful place. It's yours. You know, and how that works itself out on a daily basis is just that you and I are confronted with decisions regarding relationships, how we conduct ourselves, the type of business we do, the type of employees we are, the types of moms and dads that we are. All revolves around living a life submitted to Christ and His Word. Now, uh, I, don't, I don't know if this is, um, the, one of the commentators I read, Daryl Bach is his name, wrote a, wrote a commentary on Luke, and he was saying that the tenses of the verbs, of, you know, there's three, three commands here, right? Deny himself, take up your cross, and follow me. And he believes that those first two commands um, lead to what, is, what it means to follow. In other words, deny yourself, take up a cross, and you will be following Jesus. Okay. But obeying Jesus I was um I mentioned last week the um uh that uh our Sister Church, Linworth Road, was having a guest speaker in this weekend in conference there. Sam Storms is his name. And he was talking about a particular command in Scripture. And he says, did you realize this is, a, this is actually a command? It's not a suggestion. Same as any other command, like don't commit adultery. It's a command. It's not like, well, you know, you don't want to think about it. No, it, it, it's, he's saying... If you want to follow me, anyone who would, who would follow me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And he just told him his path, didn't he? <laughs> Suffering, rejection. You, you know, you've got to realize it's going to take the Holy Spirit to awaken someone's heart to, shine up, to sign up for this. Right? I mean, you don't just say, hey, travel the world, suffer, be rejected by men. It takes an act of God for that to happen, for a person to have their heart awakened and then be saved and their their heart filled with the Holy Spirit. It's only that person that could submit to this joyfully. The other verses after this in Luke 9 just illustrate, amplify what he's just said. In verses 24 and 25 of Luke 9, it says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? 
He's like, you want what the world has to offer and that to be your Lord? Okay, but you forfeit your life. You forfeit your soul. You want to experience life the way it was meant to be? Then lose it to me. Lose it to me. Give me your life. Let me have your life. And this is, this is how he is explaining it and giving this, this, this picture. It's like, it's, it's uh, proverbial the way he says it. It's like he's like, you know, you know what? if you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. If you try to save your life as it is and with all the accoutrements that the world has to offer that it's trying to sell you, then you're going to lose it. It's very sobering. It's very, you know, he's just bottom lining it for his followers. And, you, you know, as a Christian, if we're going to follow Jesus, we cannot be worried. We cannot be concerned about being loved by the world. It cannot be our primary concern. Our primary concern must be our Lord and living a life that's pleasing to Him by His grace. And when we fall, and we will, we fall on His grace, and His blood covers us. And we get back up and we keep following. I've mentioned this many times, but I'm going to say it again because this really does epitomize the life that Christ has called us to. It's Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. In other words, when you become a Christian, your life is not your own. My life is no longer my own. It belongs to Jesus. Now, you know, we got to realize that, you know, that's where life really is. That's where joy really is, is in following Jesus. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me through the Holy Spirit, right? Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. He loved me and gave himself for me. Like when we recognize what Christ has done as we just did with communion and we just think about. And I don't know about you, but there are times, you know, where it's just so easy to go through the motions of communion. Like you've done it a thousand times. And, and, and my prayer today and just with me and the Lord was just, I, I was just so encouraged that today, and it's not always the case, but today, I really felt connected with God in communion. And sometimes my flesh gets in the way, and it's not all about the feelings, but I'm just saying that today, I was, I was back there praying, I was like, I was remembering what God has saved me from. Where I was headed.
touch my life without Christ. Just, he knows where I'd be. And so, not as one who has perfectly done it, but we have to see that our life is not our own. You don't get to say how you live your life. You don't. Christ does. God does. And he will help us. But you know, the Holy Spirit's not going to force himself on you to do it. We have to submit daily. First John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. God wants to save us from this. He died to save us from the lie. It's the same lie that was told in the garden. God's holding out on you. You give your life to God, you're not going to get all you can get. It's going to be the most boring, stifling life you've ever had. Couldn't be further from the truth. Couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus, um, in this passage, he ends here in the last couple of verses. He says, verse 26, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words... Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Man, it's just like it's not getting easier here in this passage. You know, this being ashamed is, is uh, I take it as being a rejection of Christ, ashamed of Christ, being the rejection of Christ. It's being ashamed. So if you're ashamed of me and my words, Are you ashamed of anything in here? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory. This is speaking of judgment. And then, I'll just end with this, verse 27. But I tell you truly, I tell you truly, there are some standing here, so verse the bunch of followers around him. There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Until they see the kingdom of God. Now, none of those disciples are alive today. And so I don't think him saying we'll see the kingdom of God is talking about like Christ's second return. I think that what he's saying there is what's going to happen next. In, their, in chapter 9 is one of the things. 
when the transfiguration happens, and they're going to see a visible manifestation of, of, of who this truly is, who Jesus truly is, and they're going to hear the voice of God, and that's the kingdom come, <laughs> I'll tell you. So these, some of these people there that heard Jesus give this message firsthand will witness the transfiguration, the resurrection, and the ascension. Just, and that's the, I think that's when he says, um, some standing here will not taste death until they sing the kingdom of God. They're going to witness these things that I mentioned. So we have laid before us um, this incredible confession that Peter makes. This, he got it. He, he at least got it to this point. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He confessed Jesus is the Christ. And I'm just imploring you, if you've never done that, if you've never put your faith in Jesus and made him the Lord of your life, that you would do that today. He came. He suffered, he died, he rose again. He's at the right hand of God right now, and he is coming, and there is a judgment. And I pray that everyone hearing this would put their faith in Christ and not be ashamed of him and his words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we so need your help because everything that we've heard you say to your disciples of what it means to anyone who wants to come after you, it's just, um, it's humanly impossible. But not without your spirit. And so, Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that you give every person who puts their faith in Jesus. Lord, thank you that salvation is a free gift. And when we put our, once we're saved, we can't be unsaved. But you do call us to obey you. You do call us to follow you do call us to take up our cross daily. And so, Lord, we, we just confess to you. Lord, I'm sure there's times this week where we have just lived the nominal Christian life, a life that was just centered around us and just all about us and not about you. And so, Lord, we confess that. And thank you, God, just for the, the blood of Christ that, we know as believers, we put our faith in Christ that it cleanses us from all unrighteousness and we're, our heaven's not in jeopardy. Forgiveness not for jeopardy when we do that. But Lord, we want to serve you and we want to live out this calling of discipleship. Help us, God. 
Help us to do it. And, and Lord, just as we step out in faith in, the, in whatever comes our way and, and we submit that area of life to you or, or this situation to you and we do your will, if that's something that is we know explicitly stated in your word, that we joyfully do it. Even if it means rejection by others, even if it means certain relationships cannot continue, we do it because it honors you. And Lord, we pray, as it says in Romans, we want, we want to be a living sacrifice. We'd offer ourselves to you afresh today and every day that you might be glorified through our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.